Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of One Life. We are your hosts, Chris and Jenny Graby. Our mission at One Life is to inspire you to take risks, dream big, and to live your life on purpose. Happy summer, guys! Yay! Well, we're kicking off this thing right with a month of really incredible episodes coming up for you guys. That's right. We've got everyone's favorite singer-songwriter, Dave Barnes, coming up. I've actually been so shocked at the number of people in our world who have never heard of Dave Barnes. Yeah, they're like totally missing out. You are so missing out, guys. Trust us, he's incredible. He'll be joining us next week on the show, but go check out his music and get ready because he's stinking hilarious. <laughs> God gave me you. Yeah, he wrote, just gonna, God gave just me you. Just going to leave that there. He's you great. You'll love him. All right, we've also got the amazing Katie Norris coming yes. up. And Katie is the founder of a company called Photolanthropy. Now try and say that like Photolanthropy. Yeah, yep. Say that fast five times. Yep. It's a really incredible nonprofit doing a whole lot of good in the world. Yep. And I'm not naming any names, but one of us may have cried four times during the episode. <laughs> yep, and you may be surprised at who it is. <laughs> she has such an incredible story. You guys yeah. are going to love her. She's and the wonderful. impact that they're making is global. It's yeah. really amazing. Can't wait for you to hear her story. And we also have the king of adventure himself, the one, the only, Mr. John Eldridge joining us Thanks, on June 25th. I think I cried four times during that episode. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I hope everyone listening has heard of John Eldridge, but if by some chance you've been living on a rock and you haven't, <laughs> please, please, please go check out his work. He yeah. is phenomenal. Yeah, he definitely is. And stay tuned for our conversation with him coming up on June 25th. All right, so today you are in for such a treat. We're talking with our new friend, Curtis Zachary, also goes by CZ, mm-hmm. about finding rest for our souls. <sighs> God's intention for humanity from the very beginning was that we would find rest, that we would be in rhythm with Him. We were created by God to be in communion with Him, to be connected to Him. He made us to be fulfilled by Him and Him alone. Curtis is a speaker, an author, and a pastor at Church of the City in Nashville, Tennessee. He's a husband of one and a dad of two. We loved hearing his story and the heart behind his project, and we know you will too. So get ready. Here's Curtis. Well, guys, today we have with us Curtis Zachary, also known as CZ to his friends. And we're, we're old friends now. So yeah. here we are. So, Curtis, thanks so much for coming to the One Life Podcast. Man, it's an honor to be with you guys. Yeah. And I go way back with your sweet wife, Monique. I love her. We were both in cheesy, embarrassing girl boy bands of the early 2000s. It's uh-huh. Pretty awesome. Hers not as embarrassing as mine. Right. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> well, that's a connective place that that gives you deep roots together. Deep yeah. roots, deep yeah. roots, right there. Yeah. That's so funny. Everybody yeah. needs to be in a boy band or girl band at, at some, some point. point. Were you life. ever in a boy band, Curtis? Yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and push back on that one right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, not receive that. That's awesome. Well, man, we're so glad you're here. We're gonna dive into it. We want to hear a little bit about your story. Where Where did you grow up? I know you live in Nashville now. You're a pastor there but how'd you come to faith and just would love to hear some of your story yeah so yeah I grew up in New Jersey uh, until I was 17 went to college in Virginia and during that time I really came to faith I grew up kind of around church I was uh, in a situation where I went back and forth between my mom and my dad growing up and kind of afforded for me to have a bit of a, a nebulous sense of belonging connected to church and faith and things like that. There wasn't really a real strong point of identification around any of that stuff. And 
when I was a, a, about seven or eight years old, my mom came to faith and that really uh, rooted us in a church environment. But during that time when I was uh, attending church, I didn't really have this sense of purposefulness connected to what it really meant for my own life. And I had some awareness around the things of God, but it didn't have like a heart connection to who I was. So that really was a formative place for me. And I would have said growing up that I was uh, a Christian. I would have said that there was a God and that it was important to go to heaven, but none of that really had any sort of heart connection to who I was. So when I got to college, I went to a Christian university and it was really out of this sense of it being the right thing to do. It was kind of just a good thing to go to a place where Christian people are and, and it would probably be a bunch of nice people and that kind of thing. Right. Uh, right. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully they're nice. <laughs> you know? But it really was uh, completely misaligned in my understanding of what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And ultimately, uh, the best way to capsulize that season for me would be to say that I believe that there was the significance in understanding God, but I didn't really know that it mattered beyond just a choice between going to hell or following Jesus. Like that was kind of like what it boiled down to for me. And for me, it just seemed like an easy choice because the way that things had been put forward for me were really just this allegiance to Jesus was all I needed in my proclamation of, of faith. You know, it wasn't really contingent upon my life or how I lived. It was just more about, am I a follower of him or not? You know, and that was uh, obviously a greatly diminished view of who he was. But when I got to college, I had this real point of, I guess, reckoning in my life where I recognized how often I and others would make a profession of a faith in Jesus, but would live completely contradictory to all of these things that I would say that I was aligned with because of that faith. And I started to see in other people just kind of how hypocritical it was to just say one thing with your life and to say another thing with your words, you know, and mm-hmm. I didn't realize that I was living in a very similar situation that I could see in other people, this lack of connectivity to the things that they said they believed and the way that they were living. But in my own life, I would have said, no, you know, you just kind of act this way around church people and you act this way around uh, people who don't go to church. And what's really weird is I never put the connection together for myself that this profession of faith should have some bearing on my life on earth. And for the first time, when I started to recognize that, I started to read the Bible with new lenses to say, man, I really want this to mean something for my life now. I want it to affect who I am now. I want everything about who I am to be aligned with what I believe I'm professing about this Jesus, you know? And so I remember being in my dorm room and it wasn't as a result of a sermon or any kind of specific Christian ministry. It was really just me in my dorm saying, God, if you're this God, if you're real in this way, I want to know you and I want to experience that. And it kind of changed everything for me. So during that season, I started working at this camp called Kids Across America in Missouri, and it was a Christian sports camp. And during that season, I was able to see other people who were college students my age that were truly pursuing Jesus with all that they were and all that they had, like everything about their lives was shaped 
by this cat named Jesus. And, and it really just changed the way that they made decisions and, and all that. And I just realized I wanted that to be true for me. You know, if this was the case, I would love yeah. to know him in this way. And so I just began to seek some of those guys out to ask them uh, what it meant for them to follow Jesus and began to read more and study about different ideas of pathways and studying scripture. And I just began to grow. And so that kind of reinforced this idea that I wanted to give my life vocationally to serving Jesus. And when I finished my time at college, I realized I didn't know what it meant or what it would look like, but I just wanted to do everything I could to point to the way of Jesus with my life. And so there was a couple that I had met working at that camp who lived in Nashville They were in the music industry. Uh, He was a producer. She was a singer. And they kind of saw something in me when I was serving these kids and the role that I was at the camp. And they just said, hey, would you ever consider coming to Nashville? That wasn't something that was ever on my horizon. Uh, I wasn't really looking to move to Nashville from New Jersey, but um, (laughs) I felt like the Lord had something in that. And so he began to move and stir. And so I said yes to that with open hands, not really sure what was going to happen. And that's what got me to Nashville. And it was in that that move that I really understood that God was at work in ways that I couldn't really see. And I just needed to trust him with the pathway. So that's how I ended up here. And, you know, the story could go so many different yeah. directions from that place. Yeah. <laughs> so is that where you met Monique? Yeah. So I moved to Nashville and through a mutual friend, we connected at a birthday party, um, we struck up a conversation and it was a beautiful conversation. And it was really notable to me because I had shifted into the space where I was willing to be single. Like I just thought that was kind of God's plight uh, for me, you know, like it was his uh, leading in my life. I'd, I'd come to this place where I knew I wanted to serve him with all that I was and all that I had and and was willing to lay it all down to do that. And I thought, whatever that means, vocationally or whatever, I'm, I'm willing to do it. And I think what was interesting was right at that time, I met Monique and she was this incredible girl and we had this great connection together. But when we finished our time talking, uh, she left and I didn't ask for a phone number or anything like that. And it's funny because a couple of days later, I was at a friend's house and I was lamenting that fact. <laughs> what was I thinking? I'll never see that girl again. And it was really interesting because a couple of weeks later, we ended up at the same place together and we were able to reconnect and I didn't make the same mistake again. I asked for uh, her for that time and uh, yeah, we became friends and spent time together and then began to date, which led up to our eventual engagement and, and marriage. That's awesome. Yeah, that's when you really had to hustle hard. There wasn't like Instagram where you could just send a right? DM yeah. or some kind of... <laughs> you had to actually, you know, actually ask for the digits. You didn't yep. see them. They could just disappear into the world and never see them again. Exactly. <laughs> so old school. We're so, yep, we're we so old school. That's awesome, man. Well, thank you so much for sharing that yeah. story. All right. So let's jump into Soul Rest. I'm really excited to talk about it. Reclaiming your life, returning to Sabbath. That sounds oh, yeah. really good right about now. So tell us more about this project and how it came to be. Yeah, so it's really a a product of about two and a half years of real hard work uh, in my own heart, uh, in my own life, in introspection and in asking the Lord to enter into spaces that I think I'd allowed to remain hidden and uh, removed from Him uh, in my pursuit to follow Him. I, I think I 
for so long had been completely connected to my identity in the things that I could do for God, the way that I could live my life to show him and show the world what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And one of the things that I quickly realized in my life was that was simply not a sustainable way to live, to allow all of who I was connected to the things that I could do to be completely interwoven. And what really accentuated that was my wife and I moving from Nashville to the Bay Area in California. And we were serving in a community that was a beautiful neighborhood, but was just like a lot of urban centers kind of wrought with real challenges and a lot of under-resourced situations. And what I quickly began to realize was life was dynamically different there where I was engaging in all kinds of different ministry and life situations that I'd never had before. You know, sitting with people who had come to know Jesus, but still have pending court cases, you know, where they're trying to figure out whether or not they're going to go back to prison for 10 years. We're walking with people through addiction and through recovery situations. I had a lot of homeless friends who were trying to figure out where they were going to stay every night. And, you know, just day to day, there were things that were so taxing on just the rhythm of life that I just began to realize in my own strength, there's no way I'll be able to keep this up. Like I won't be able to keep doing this and sustain uh, the level of engagement and energy connected to what it would take. Because uh, in a lot of these situations, there was no end date. There was no like capsulization on you know, what ministry looked like. It wasn't just we were throwing an event. It was life together was hard and real and rich and nuanced. And what I quickly began to discover was as I began to grow in this deep fatigue, there was no way for me to identify a way out. There was no way for me to do a thing that would help me to feel less taxed or less stressed or less anxiety or striving inside of it. And uh, that began to concern me. The second thing that happened around that same season of time was my wife and I experienced loss through miscarriage. And it was really hard Mm. to walk through that process. But I think sadly, I would say that I just kind of put my head down and tried to push forward through it, knowing, you know, it was hard, but God has a plan. And I had a lot of spiritual language to throw on it and a lot of words that I could Mm. say connected to uh, how God was going to work it all out. But Six months later, we ended up experiencing loss again, and that was too much to bear. I couldn't just will myself through it. I had to acknowledge how painful it was. And then the third thing was ultimately that we, in the midst of experiencing that tension of not understanding our identity, experiencing the loss and the pain, we didn't really have community. I didn't have friends that were removed from this work environment. You know, it was kind of like us powering our way through doing work and doing ministry for God, but not allowing ourselves to feel or experience or truly know any of what is happening. So I would say the three things converging together in the same season of time just caused me to be able to, in God's grace, see that something needed to change. And so I pulled back. We kind of landed the plane, so to speak. I I told the folks that I was working with that in three months we were going to transition I didn't know what the transition was to, and we were praying and asking God to give us direction. And the only thing that I knew that God was speaking to my heart were the words, you need rest for your soul. And I had no idea what that meant. I had no idea what that was going to look like, but I just felt it clearly presented as this 
prospect from him for the future. So we, I, I always say I did what every young man dreams of. We packed up all of our stuff and moved in with my wife's parents. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we moved in and uh, it was extremely humbling. They were extremely supportive. We had then since had our son, Noah, and that was a beautiful thing. But in some ways, it accentuated the sense of the reality of the loss that we experienced. So we just had a lot of questions, a lot of yeah. tensions, a lot of dryness. We didn't know uh, what to do with it. And uh, I just said, Lord, I want to open my hands to you. And the real origin place of what I now have outlined in this book was on the very first day of what ended up being about a year-long process. I remember waking up, going outside. It was a beautiful California morning. The sun was shining, birds singing, you know, just picturesque. And I felt like God was saying to me, now that I've taken away everything that you're known for, everything that's in your platform, would you love and worship me with the same passion? And quickly and troubling as it may be, my answer was no. I just knew immediately that my passion and my love for Jesus was deeply interwoven with what I got to do for him. And I just didn't know if he was enough by himself. And that was terrifying, but it was also what I would say is the baseline for the pursuit to understand what it means to have rest in your soul. Thank you so much for sharing that story. I think it probably speaks to so many people out there and there's probably somebody listening. Actually, I'm probably, I know there's somebody listening going, okay, this guy was a pastor. He was in the midst of serving the broken. He was doing the thing that was a calling inside of his soul. And he heard God say, you need rest. Your soul needs rest. I imagine you probably, as you've encountered other people, that there's multiple people saying, yes, that speaks to me. I need rest in my soul. Kind of unpack that a little bit in some of the conversations you've had since you've written this book. Yeah, I think uh, one of the things that I would say is established deeply within my heart after giving my time to this process and to studying all that has come with, especially writing the book is God's intention for humanity from the very beginning was that we would find rest, that we would be in rhythm with Him. We were created by God um, to be in communion with Him, to be connected to Him. He made us to be fulfilled by Him and Him alone. You know, Ecclesiastes 3 says that God set eternity in the hearts of men uh, so that they wouldn't know the beginning or the end. Like He made us with this innate awareness and knowledge of who He is. And that longing, that eternal longing can only be fulfilled by an eternal one, you know, and he made us to be fulfilled by himself. So even from the very beginning of the story, this longing that we have inside of ourselves is very apparent. Genesis 3, the greatest problem in all the Bible, sin enters into the story and everything that was made to be in rhythm with God and to be fulfilled by him is now off of its rhythm and is longing to be fulfilled by the one who made him to be fulfilled. And so that by itself shows us in the origin places of our very inception that we have a shared experience. We have a shared longing. We all long for the same thing, whether we know it or not, that longing is to be fulfilled by God. And I just know because that's true from the beginning of the story of the narrative of scripture, when I have conversations with people That's why I think even like you guys have expressed, you know, you hear the 
title of this book and there's something inside of us that is just kind of moved <laughs> inherently. Exactly. Like, Man, I, yeah. I don't know what it is, but I need it. You know, you don't even know what the book is about, but you're kind of yeah. like, yeah, I think I can get some of that. Well, it's because yeah. we are designed to have rest. We're designed to be fulfilled. And the reason that the book is called Soul Rest is ultimately it's not just about this surface kind of rest. It's not even about this rest that comes through practicing the Sabbath. I think both of those things are vitally important, and I talk a lot about it. But I think the rest that we really long for is expressed in Matthew 11. You know, Jesus is talking to a bunch of people, and he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And then Jesus himself says the words, And you will have rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So for us, we should see that proposition and immediately ask the question, well, what is that? Well, what, what is the rest for our souls? You know, how is that distinctive or different than any other kind of rest? Well, I think what we need to know to be true is that it's through the finished work of Jesus that we find the accomplishment of the work that is really for us to do for our sin. You know, Romans mm-hmm. 3.23, for all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God, for the wages of sin, Romans 6.23. You know, you go down the whole traditional Romans road, whatever. Right. You want to <laughs> but the thing that's so clear as a thread, especially through the New Testament, is this picture that we deserve death because of our sin. And we deserve to have to pay for this sin through our work. But there's nothing we can do to earn that. There's nothing we can do to accomplish what is needed for righteousness. But God graciously sent his son. And in his graciousness, John 3.16 is so beautiful. And that's why it's so well known, because he sends his son as a gift to bring reconciliation. For those of us who need to work to earn salvation, we find that satisfied through the work of Jesus. Ephesians 2.8 and 9. It's by grace you've been saved through faith, not from work so that nobody can boast. But then the beauty inside of all of it is the very next verse, Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created for good works. So now all of a sudden it's like this tension. We're like, okay, wait a minute. Is it no work or is it work? I don't know which one it is, right? And so the beauty is we rest because of his finished work, but we also rest in our work because our work is not for accomplishment of righteousness, accomplishment of identity. Our work is from the rest that we find in him. Yeah, that's so good. And so you're talking you're not talking about completely ceasing from doing work. You're talking about being at rest as we do our work, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that that's one of the greatest misconceptions that we all have even about the Sabbath. And that's why talking about the Sabbath is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, one huge distinction I think is important that God has shown me in this process is, you know, I've always looked at the Sabbath, as well as the rest of the Ten Commandments, as this list of rules and laws to follow so that I would please God, right? Like, I want to do these things. And in doing these things, I will bring pleasure to God because he'll see me observing these rules that he's laid out. And in my ability to adhere to them, he will be pleased with my actions. But I think that there's a distinction to that that's really important because, yes, they are commands by God for us to follow, but they are also a gift as a pathway to communion with him. Like Sabbath is not just a rule to follow so that I can please God. But when I practice the Sabbath, 
I am able to connect with God in a way that he has designed from the very inception of things so that I can find him in it. So when I look at that in that way, it changes everything. So now my engagement with Sabbath is not just how do I follow the rules in order to be able to do it right? No, it's I look at Sabbath as this gift God has granted me so that I can find him in it. And so because of that, my engagement with it is not based around striving and straining and doing. It's actually based around stopping and ceasing and allowing him to infuse what I need into my heart. That's why that verse in Matthew 11 is so impactful. Because what he was saying to that group of people, when he says, come to me, all who are weary, all those people, they knew that they had to follow the rules and the laws of the commandments. And on top of that, the rabbis and the, and the religious people of the time had imposed 613, I believe, ceremonial laws in addition to the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. So they had to do all of these things every single day to adhere to these rules and laws. Now, you got to imagine that is exhausting, right? Like right. They're trying to just follow the Sabbath, but in following the Sabbath, you can't carry something more than six feet. If you carry it more than six feet, you broke the Sabbath. You can't lean in the window and pass somebody bread too far. If you do, you broke the Sabbath. You can't, you know what I mean? Like all these Yeah, things. yeah. So they're exhausted trying to find rest. And Jesus <laughs> said to them, wait a minute, you're trying to find rest. I have a way that is completely different than you striving for rest. I will give you rest. And that's why I think it's so important because like you said, it's not about not working or finding permission to not do anything. Yeah. It's just when we do our things, we are now fueled and we are now equipped because of the rest that we find connected to him. Yeah, that's so good. Let's talk about Sabbath for a second, a little bit more in detail and, and just kind of the discipline of, that you talk about silence and solitude. Why is it so important? And, and give us some practical examples of what that should look like in our lives as, as you know, parents and busy families. Yeah, I think Sabbath was a gift from the very beginning from God because he understood the plight of humanity. And the greatest plight of humanity is our intentionality to attempt to be God. (laughs) That's what we are really good at. We're really good at determining and living into what we think is the best pathway for life. I mean, that's exhibited in Genesis 3 when humanity had everything that they needed to be satisfied by God. Uh, had everything that they needed in an outworking in the garden, you know, and mm-hmm. they even had a purposefulness connected to vocation. All of that was true. But yet humanity still felt as though there was something else. There was another pathway. There was another better decision to make. And so when God stopped on the seventh day, he knew, it says in Exodus, that he stopped as a display or a show to all of humanity that they would model this. But it also says that he stopped on the seventh day and he rested and was refreshed. So the reason that that's significant when we talk about the Sabbath is we need to see that God himself found refreshment connected to the Sabbath. Now, because we read the Bible, we know that he wasn't physically tired. So why why would he need refreshment? Well, I believe it's because he looked back on all the things that were made by his hand and he knew that he was satisfied. He said, it's good. This is enough. What I've made is good. And so he says that this is a model to all humanity, that you would do the same thing, that in your working for six days, you would indeed work. But on the seventh day, you will stop, keep the day holy. And the way that we keep the day holy is not by our slothful 
posture. It's not by inactivity. The way that we keep the day holy is acknowledging that our work is not what brings significance. It's the finished work of God and who he is and how he created that makes everything significant. So the reason that's significant even into our days today is we know how to make ourselves God in our rhythm. We know how to make choices. We know how to lean into spaces where we think we know what's best. We have affections for things that are unhealthy in their position as it relates to God. We have desires that we know without looking at them can be misaligned with what God intends for us. And what Sabbath does for us is causes us to stop and see the places where we're asserting ourselves, see the places where our identity, our work, our doing is establishing our value. And we stop and say, God, where are you in all of this? So that's like the overarching picture of it. But I think mm-hmm. practically to what you're asking, you know, for a mom with a bunch of kids or for somebody who has a, a workload on their job, that's just crazy. You know, people will say, I want that. I want to do that. I want to practice Sabbath, but it doesn't seem practical inside of my rhythms. Right. Well, I think one of the things that is true about every human being is that we live into what we value. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. And so for some of us, who would say that we don't have a time to stop and to practice Sabbath. Weirdly enough, we have time to stop and go to the game when somebody says that they have tickets for it. Like, (laughs) I I don't know, like we, we just all of a sudden find this amount of time that we don't really say that we have, but it's because we have different valuations around different things. And I think one of the biggest distinctions around Sabbath is that thing way back when I was talking earlier about how we look at the Sabbath, rather than it being a rule to follow, but a gift of a pathway to connection with God, that starts to change the way that we prioritize our intentionality to find Sabbath, to find this place in our lives. And yeah, we could talk more practically around what that looks like, but I just think those simple ideas can start to change the way that we view it. Yeah, that's good. So how do you practice it in your life? What does that look like for you as, you know, a dad and a husband and a pastor? What does that look like in your life, in your rhythm? Yeah, and I think it's multifaceted too. So I do genuinely believe that it's still significant for us to practice a day of Sabbath. I I think it's still built into the rhythm of how God created things that affords us this pathway to connect with Him in finding a way to set aside a day, a time, uh, specifically to do it. But I also believe that there is a Sabbath thinking that Mm -hmm. is important to infuse into the way that we live. Because one of the things that's important for us is to understand that there's Sabbath available even in our work. So uh, in Psalm 127, uh, there's this idea where it says, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. Uh, unless the watchman watches over the village, the watchman watch in vain. Um, the reason that's important is because I believe even in that psalm, we see this picture where it says that God is doing the work, right? Like unless God builds the house. But then it goes on to say the laborers labor in vain. So there's still right. working happening with the laborers. Like they still need to work. So if they still need to work, what is that even talking about? Well, I think It's getting at this idea that there is Sabbath, there is rest, even inside of the work that we're doing, if we can reframe what it means for us to work from rest. So my work is not to accomplish or to prove anything to anyone, but it's for me to live out of that. So 
one of the things that I do is reframe what it looks like on a day-to-day basis to work. <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, I just have decided and my wife and I have decided to not allow the expectations and the things that can be imposed upon you around the rhythms connected to ministry and work and life that really aren't from a compulsion of the way of Jesus, but are from an expectation connected to culture, the world, whatever. I just, I refuse to allow that to determine the way that I schedule myself or I work because uh, Eugene Peterson talks about this in, in this book, The Contemplative Pastor. He says that busyness is equated with laziness. And the reason this, uh, this is true is because we don't prioritize the things that are truly important. We allow ourselves to be subjected to the whims of all of the busyness of life, even in the good name of doing things for God. So I think that that's a big way that I've done that. Um, as far as like on the weekend, one of the things that we've uh, instilled has been a family Sabbath. We just kind of find these rhythms where we can just stop and allow ourselves to just let our striving and straining and motion forward, even with good intention, to open our hands and to trust God with all of it, that he would rest it. So we've tried to do that intentionally uh, on the weekends. Getting more out in nature has has changed that for me. Uh, I, I could talk about it for a long time, but just a couple <laughs> that just come to mind. No, that's those great. are great. Thank that's you. Great. And I, you know, I think there's people probably out there that go, "Oh, well, I've got four teenagers, and we got baseball games on Saturday." Yeah. Basically, what needs to happen is people need to really, especially a husband and wife, or even a single mom, go, "Okay, it's possible." You just have to really be intentional to find that rhythm that works best for you. And I think one of the things that I want to talk about that I I imagine most of our listeners are thinking through is how do you have rest and still be on social media? Is it possible to have some soul (laughs) rest when it comes to social media? And I would love to hear your thought process on that. Yeah, I think it's a huge and important question. I think the question is different for different people because – some people would ask that question with a level of purity connected to what does it mean for me to either engage in social media or not? <laughs> Other mm-hmm. people would ask that question with this inherent reality that I have no choice, but I have to engage with social media. Right. So then how do I navigate it? So yeah. I would say that that's, again, another important distinction, because what I've learned is you don't have to do it. <laughs> like right. That by itself is already a level of freedom that I think many of us can afford ourselves if we believe that that's true. Like If we allow ourselves to believe that Instagram and Twitter do not have to be a part of my life rhythm. Now, I'm not saying that it's right or wrong to have Instagram or Twitter or all these social media platforms. Uh, I engage in them myself. But I think simply acknowledging by itself it is not interwoven into my life's necessities. It yeah. gives me a permission to engage it on my own terms. <laughs> you know, it changes. Yes. So, so then my pressures that I feel connected to social media life, whether it's me putting forward posts that are appealing or admirable to other people, or me living in the comparison game connected mm-hmm. to other people's posts or thoughts or wisdom yeah. or ideas, now are shifted because. One, if I was looking at that saying, man, this is something I have to do and I have to wade into these waters every single day and it's just a a drudgery, you know, in a lot of ways, like it's not fair to ourselves connected to the reality of how we're built. Like we're not made for the platforms that we have. Like we're not made 
even on a small level on Twitter, you know, like yeah. 30 people who follow you on Twitter, like we're not made in our composition to have platforms. Like we're just not built that way. Like we're yeah. built to be in rhythm with God, finding sustenance with him, living from that place that he's given us. So we by ourselves inherently don't know how to steward that. So yeah. if we are going to steward a platform, we better lean in very specifically, understanding that one, it needs to be a calling, and two, it needs to be fueled by the way of Jesus. So I think that social media for us is a gift. I mean, it's a beautiful thing. It can allow so much of connectivity and life to happen. But I just think that the simple fact that it doesn't have to happen can change the way that we engage it. Mm. Yeah. Great. Thank you so much for kind of sharing your thoughts on that. I guess one of the questions, the real big question, if someone walked up to you and said, okay, I'm going to read this book. What do you want them to walk away with? What's that nugget that you go, okay, if anything else, I want you to understand this when you finish the book. Yeah. I think the best thing I could say connected to that would be looking at the idea of the title and all of that. Like it feels very daunting. I, I get that. But I think the simple thing that I would say is God's intention for humanity is that they would find rest connected to him. And I think that there are three ways that you can begin to engage what this looks like in your life. One word we've already talked about, being intentional. I think being intentional Mm -hmm. can afford us the chance to be able to lean in and to say yes to finding God in the places that he desires for us to find him. And the second one is seeking substance. You know, I think what I would do a lot in my life, which is make a commitment to do something, you know, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do it. But sadly, I'm not really worried about whether or not it actually means anything to me. You know, like I'll just, you know, something like, hey, I'm going to read my Bible every day. You know, I'm going to show up and I'm going to do it. Now, my problem is I care more about having done it than actually experiencing Mm. something when I've done it, you know, and I'm just being honest in that. And so I want people to know that you can be intentional to show up, to ask God to provide this rest. Uh, Second, to come with a posture that it can be substantial, that it can matter when you do it. That would be the second word. And then the third one would be that it's sustainable. I think if there's a way for us to establish, as you alluded to earlier, a rhythm that is sustainable for us. What's the thing that we can look at together, whether individually or as a family, and say, I can do this going forward. And I think if we take those three simple steps, God will begin to reveal himself inside of our pursuit to find rest, And we will be surprised by the incremental and then leading to exponential growth in the engagement with rest in our lives. Yeah, that's so good. Nice. I love it. I love it, man. Well, I'm excited to dive into it a little bit deeper. And I guess the question we have, we're going to have some rapid fire questions here in a second, but where can people find this book? Where can they they get a hold of it? Where's the best place? Yeah. So two places that come to mind quickly, soulrestbook.com. Uh, will allow you to kind of learn more about the book and grab the book from there. Amazon is always good. You get that uh, right. two day shipping if you got Prime. You know, I, I guess, <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's a good thing. So, right now, those are the two easiest ones. Okay, perfect. We'll link to those in the show notes so people can pick it up. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, it's time to get into our rapid fire questions. <laughs> oh, nice. Three questions that'll change everyone's wow. life. Are you ready? Are you ready? <laughs> All right. So it goes a little like this. Uh, What's a book that's changed your life? What's a discipline or habit that's made the biggest difference in your life? And what's one piece of advice you would give to the younger you? Wow. Okay. 
<laughs> so book so that's changed your life. We'll, say, we'll take life. one question. Yeah, that's probably okay. honestly the hardest question you could have mm-hmm. asked me right mm-hmm. there. I love right. to read. I love uh, jumping into literature. I would say the one that has helped me the most that comes to mind immediately is a book called The Bookends of the Christian Life by uh, a guy named Jerry Bridges. Yeah, it's game changer. <laughs> okay. Awesome. We'll have to look that up. This question gets me in so much trouble on Amazon every week because, uh, yes, it does. oh my gosh, I just immediately go. It's our bank account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What discipline or habit has changed your life? Um, well, you can kind of hear from the topic <laughs> of all of this uh, what it is. I mean, honestly, yeah, just finding ways to still myself and to rest and really introspection, looking inward and allowing yeah. God to do work uh, in my heart. You know, there's a, a quote, uh, keep still and let him do some work. And uh, another one, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, we have to be ready to allow ourselves to be interrupted by God. And I think finding spaces to stop and trust God with our lives has changed the way that I live. That's awesome. Love it. All right. Here's the big one. Drum roll. What <laughs> is one piece of advice you give to the younger CZ? Whew. Uh, stop talking so much. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I just feel like so much of my life has been shaped by my desire to please other people and to, to be known and to be loved. And I think in my genuine desire to experience those things and in my genuine desire to honor God with my life, I think it's been easy for me to just use words as a way and a mechanism to create pseudo connections, but then also to keep people uh, from really knowing who I am. So I think just to be quiet and to listen and to learn and to say the things that I, uh, I feel and know rather than trying to skirt issues with uh, an abundance of words. Mm, that's good. Those words, man. <laughs> yes, <laughs> so stinking huge. words. They just show up. <laughs> Trust me, you're talking to the younger me as well. So, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, brother, thank you so much for yes. being here. Where can people find you and follow you and your journey? Yeah. So uh, on Insta and Twitter, it's uh, who is CZ on both of those. Okay. And then Facebook, uh, same thing. And then I have one that I just started that's kind of like an author page and it's just facebook.com slash Zachary. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll link to all those in the show notes. It's been so awesome having you on. Thanks for teaching us all about soul rest. Absolutely. We're excited to start practicing it. Go yeah. take a nap. It's not, <laughs> wait, it's not what you no. said. It's not what you said. Okay, I got to work. In God. Got it. Okay. I've got it. Well, man, we really appreciate you, brother. And yeah, uh, thanks, Grace. can't wait to have all of our people listen and read this book yeah. and have their lives changed. Yeah. Take care, bro. Thank you. That is Curtis. And, man, we want to encourage each and every single one of you. Go grab this book. And it actually comes out tomorrow. Yeah. Thanks again, guys, for listening. Yeah. That's a wrap on this episode. Thank you again for listening. We would love it if you took a second uh, to subscribe, rate, and review to the podcast and share it with somebody in your life who needs some courage. Yep, and as always, you can find all the info for today's episode, all the links, all the books that Curtis recommended over in our show notes at our website, onelife.works. Little known fact, if you purchase one of the books on our website, just a tiny bit goes back into supporting oh, the podcast. Oh, man. Maybe so, it gets our kids like a grape. <laughs> A strawberry or something. But every bite counts. <laughs> every so. bite. With five kids, every bite it counts. It does. So There's we really appreciate everyone who supports the podcast. It means a lot to us. Yep. 
All right, y'all, we're gonna close it out like we do every time. Say it loud, say it proud. Remember, you only get one life. Live it well. Wow.